What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the 73rd episode of Down the Line. I'm Kyle Betts. Joining me is Reverend Honda. It is November 3rd. It's a Thursday. We're recording this right around 5.15 in the afternoon, so a little bit later than normal, but Reverend just came back from Vegas. Um, how was that, Reverend? How was your week? Besides the betting aspect, it was a pretty good time. Um, put down a pretty good bet. We can talk about that a little bit later on in our show, but yeah. plenty of things to get to right now. We're in the midst of a couple of big games just starting. We got World Series Game 5 underway between the Astros and the Phillies. The Astros have already scored a run via a Jeremy Pena RBI single that scored Jose Altuve, and we also got the other Philly and Houston football teams playing right now between the Texans and the uh, Eagles. Yeah, we're going to be following this throughout this episode here, but honestly, I mean, maybe not too much of a surprise that Syndergaard has already given up a run. He hasn't had his best year for obvious reasons, and so you see Jeremy Pena going ahead and taking full advantage of that, and yeah, it's a really good night for sports. We're going to break it down a little bit here, and we're also going to get into what's happened over the past week in Fast Five. So let's get started with that first and foremost. We start with Dan and Tanya Snyders, who each own the Washington Commanders. Turns out yesterday, I think it came out, that they hired Bank of America Securities to explore a potential sale of the Commanders. So Congress is still continuing that investigation of Dan Snyder over the toxic workplace culture that has kind of assimilated during his ownership in that reign. And that also includes allegations of sexual misconduct, financial improprieties by the commanders. And you see here maybe some progress and a lot of commanders fans could maybe become a little bit more hopeful now. Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the most famous fans that we've heard speak out was probably Matthew Barry, who's um, does fantasy football now at NBC Sports. He's talked about how, you know, I think it's more of just these Washington Commanders fans can, I think, take a little sigh of relief after um, the news that came out yesterday. Yeah, no doubt about that. So we'll see if that selling process actually does come about. Let's move on to number two here in the Fast Five. That is mm -hmm. reports came out earlier today that there will be another edition of the match that is going to occur with Tiger Woods, who is a 15-time major winner, obviously one of the most decorated golfers of all time, and his partner Rory McIlroy, who won the FedEx Cup just a couple months back as well. And so those two are going to team up. They're going to face two of Team USA President's Cup winning duo, and that is Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. That's going to take place on December 10th at Pelican Golf Club in Bel Air, Florida. So Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy against Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Yeah, this is going to be a great matchup. You see four uh, perennial golfers uh, lead uh, uh, this sport um, to take place here um, out in Florida. Yeah, it's going to be what's first sort of event since withdrawing from the PGA championship in May after his single car accident last year, we all remember that happening. So it will be good to see him out there and especially alongside a really talented golfer like Rory McIlroy as well. So mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Let's move on to number three here. And that is some college news, not football. We'll get into that next, but this is college basketball. 
we're talking some men's here. That's Gonzaga is in talks to potentially join the Big 12 Conference. So they would end up leaving the West Coast Conference, who's one of those mid-major conferences. And they have some really solid teams year in, year out, obviously Gonzaga being the most notable. But that would definitely bolster the Big 12 Conference, whose own Baylor and Kansas are the last two national championship winners. Yeah, this would really put a shift in the mid-majors versus the, what do you want to call it, the Power Five Conference, the Super Conferences or whatever, but... Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, especially for how it affects teams like BYU and St. Mary's who, you know, are just who compete with, who are able to kind of compete with Gonzaga uh, year in and year out. Yeah, we've already seen a lot of shifts happen within college football with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and then obviously USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, but yeah, this will definitely be interesting to see Gonzaga if this does happen. Join the Big 12, and they're such a good program, like you said, Brevin. You know, playing the national title game uh, two years ago, and then a few years back in 2017. So it'll be really fun to see, especially now that um, college basketball season is starting soon. We'll see if anything mm-hmm. does happen there. Mm-hmm. And you talk about college football as well. You got some new CFP rankings that were released on Tuesday. Tennessee has the number one spot. And then Ohio State number two, Georgia, and Clemson just behind them. Yeah, it was pretty interesting to see this four. Um, Alabama's not there at, um, within the number four. Um, Michigan was the number five team, so that was mm-hmm. interesting to see them over, to see them not being there compared to Clemson. So, um, and then too, with Georgia and Tennessee facing off each other um, this weekend, it'll be a pretty good matchup. Um, out down in uh, down in I think Atlanta for that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you bring that up Robin, because Clemson they've been in a lot of really close games, especially their most recent win coming against Syracuse. Um, having to come back and win that game, they beat Wake Forest in overtime. So they found some ways, and um, even a potential quarterback change. I don't know if DJ Uyagule is going to end up playing at any point for the remainder of the season. So. We'll see about that. But, yeah, you said it. Georgia is hosting Tennessee this Saturday, and tickets are $626 for that, the highest-selling college football regular season game ever. So I recommend watching that on TV. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. The final point here on the Fast Five comes a little bit of somber news as Pro Football Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame punter, uh, Ray Guy, passed away earlier this morning um, at the age of 73 guy who was the first punter taken in the first round of an NFL draft went on to win three Super Bowls and was six-time first-team All-Pro all within the Raiders organization. Yeah, he's most definitely, you know, one of the best punters of all time, and I think for good reason. And You never see a punter really taken in the first round of an NFL draft, but he was literally that guy who was able to do that. So Ray Guy, you know, lived a really great life. And we've seen a lot of Ray Guy Award winners over the years. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously Matt Arizo being one of those, um, you know, we found out that news about him um, in these past couple months. So he won't even be able to play an NFL career at all. But um, so many great punters have been recipients of that award. And you look forward to seeing who's going to be able to win that this season here in college football as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was so unfortunate, especially, you know, covering this Raiders team. Um, you, mm-hmm. you see reaction from Max Crosby. You see it from Raiders punter AJ Cole. You see it from different people uh, within the organization. And, you know, we think about, you know, Al Davis, for example, and the history that he's had. You know, we think about other people that have had um, success within this Raiders organization, and Ray Guy is certainly out there. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about a lot of the best special teamers of all time, it's Raiders players, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Ray Guy and Sebastian Janikowski and um, just those guys who have really made that position so notable. So, yeah, Ray Guy will be missed. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to baseball. A couple of manager hires within the American League Central. We kicked off with the Kansas City Royals. They introduced their new manager, Matt Quattraro, at Coffin Stadium earlier today. Quattraro has been in Cleveland before, was also with Tampa Bay, served two stints there with the Rays, was most recently the team's third base coach, and then was promoted to bench coach. Yeah, this is a... Pretty notable hiring, I think, uh, here for the Kansas City Royals. Um, like you mentioned, had pl- plenty of coaching experience, um, you know, most recently being the bench coach. And so I, I think it's going to be a really good hire for them. They're taking a little bit of a risk here anytime you do hire a new manager. But I think when you're in, you're in a position like the Royals, you pretty much have to make this happen. He's 48 years old, um, being with the Rays, like you said, these past three seasons and so we're going to see if he's going to really try and turn things around for this Royals team, who's looking a little mm-hmm. bit younger um, when you put the team yep. in perspective. Mm-hmm. Another team that's looking to uh, within that AL Central, that nonsense manager is the Chicago White Sox. They announced Pedro Griefel as its new manager on Thursday. Yeah, this is another interesting hire, but I think this one might be even a little bit more than Matt Quacharo because um, – He's the first White Sox manager to be named without previous experience within the White Sox organization since 1992. Um, catching coach from 2014 to 17 with Kansas City. Obviously, you know, Salvador Perez being one of those guys who was able to learn mm-hmm. from him. And so, um, yeah, I think this is an interesting hire for them. And we're going to see if he ends up kind of leading them back to where they should be because they definitely underperformed this, yeah. this season. Um 52 years old, and I think the expectations are really high. Mm-hmm. We think about the Fall Classic back in 2015, how good that was. We think about Salvador Perez, as you mentioned, and that whole team. Uh, we think about the World Series this year. We got Game 5 going on right now. Um, as we were going through the Fast Five and talking about these new manager or hires, Phillies tied the game up mm-hmm. at one apiece with a – with a home run off the bat of the leadoff hitter, Kyle Schwarber. And that's is where we sit right now at one apiece. Yet another Schwarber, man. He's mm-hmm. he's different. And I think no better guy to have leaning off that lineup than Kyle Schwarber. And, yeah, it's, they're right back in this game. Mm-hmm. This is game five of the World Series. The series is currently tied at two. Yesterday, we saw some history be made as – Christian Javier threw five no-hit innings and three relievers combined to no-hit the Philadelphia Phillies. It was the third no-hitter in playoff history, joining Roy Halladay's no-no in 2010. 
and Don Larson's perfect game in 1956 of that World Series. Wednesday's no-hitter was the first combined version uh, of its kind of postseason play. Yeah, it's crazy to see Christian Javier's uh, journey to the MLB. You know, just a couple of years ago, he was just getting some pitches in the Dominican Republic. I mean, pretty much in the middle of nowhere, I saw a video of him just, you know, throwing some pitches and just tossing the ball around. But now he's pitching at the highest level and he's doing it at the highest level as well. I mean, just being able to perform like that in a World Series spot where, you know, your fastball is only topping at like 94 or 95 miles per hour, but you're able to locate it so well that you can't even hit it. I mean, that's something special right there. And it just shows the depth of the Astros bullpen too, no doubt about it. So I don't think it's necessarily a surprise that they were able to do this. I think maybe it was considering Javier was pitching. I mean, if, if you're going to say an Astros pitcher is going to throw a no hitter in a world series, you'd be like, okay, maybe like Verlanders, you know, mm-hmm. leading the way from that. But yeah, no, it, it's great for him to be the starting pitcher and for, I think the other three or four guys who pitched to, you know, be a part of that. And I mean, doing that at the world series is no easy feat. Like you mentioned, second time it's ever happened in the world series um, first combined. So it's, that was something. And I think, you know, tonight might be a little bit different with two runs already being scored in the first inning. And so um, you never know what can happen on any given day at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christian Javier started he threw six shutout innings, striking out nine, walked two. Brian Abreu had a clean and perfect inning in the seventh, followed by Rafael Montero, and then gave way to their closer, uh, Ryan Presley. Okay, yeah, there you go. So you see that bullpen really stepping up. And I, I think at some other times you, you've seen that within this series as well, um, especially in that game too. Um, you mm-hmm. see. Um, the Astros really put together a really strong performance. They did a lot too from the bullpen, but shout out for the first, for the first six innings. And yeah, it's been a really strong performance, I think from each pitching staff to this point, but at the same time, it's kind of been interesting because there's been two lopsided games that being yesterday's yep. game. And then game three, where it was just a seven zero mashing where, um, Lance McCullers became the first ever to allow five home runs in a World Series game. Yep. Mm-hmm. We are going to keep you updated on this game as well as the rest of the series. We'll recap the World Series next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, game six is on Saturday, so we get an off day uh, tomorrow on Friday. Mm-hmm. Zach Wheeler is going to be pitching for the Phillies going to get Framber Valdez. And if we get to a game seven, that'd be Sunday night uh, in Houston at five o'clock. Yeah, I think that's going to be a lot of fun if we do get to a Game 7. I don't know what to expect because it really just depends on who wins tonight. I mean, obviously, tomorrow's pitching matchup is looking really good. Zach Wheeler, like you mentioned before, really strong outing in Game 2. I definitely wouldn't want to be facing him in that position. So I think it's really imperative for the Astros to come out with a win tonight, especially if they take two in Philadelphia. That'd be big time and. Obviously, being up 3-2 and you're the Astros, you're more than likely going to win it either in game six or seven. So, I don't know. We'll just see how tonight's game turns out. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on to some uh, Padres baseball. Outfielder Trent Gresham won his second career. Rawlings Gold Glove in center field. This was announced on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I think this is very deserving of Trent Grisham. He's kind of been one of those guys who is just – automatic in the outfield 
you rarely ever see him make any sort of error, whether that's, you know, a fielding error or throwing error, just, I mean, just so reliable. And you see his range as well, his speed, he's an incredible athlete. And so I think, yeah, no, no doubt that he won this gold glove yet again. And I'm sure it's not going to be his last one either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was pretty much, you know, you think about the four Padres candidates to, or the four finalists from the Padres to win a gold glove. You had Juan Soto in right field. You got Hassan Kim at shortstop and you had Jake Cronenworth at second base in it. And when you think about with Grisham in that mix, you think about those four and you pretty much thought that Grisham was probably going to be the favorite to take home yeah. a gold glove uh, between them. A little disappointing that Hassan Kim didn't win as well, because I think that he was also very deserving, mm-hmm. but I mean, if you're a Padres fan, at least you got one. I'll be happy about that. I mean, yeah. the four nominees is great to see. Um, just mm-hmm. shows how well that defense is behind your starting pitching staff and bullpen as well. And so I think with Fernando Tatis coming back, hopefully that defense continues to play well. I mean, obviously we've seen yeah. him kind of had some lapses mm-hmm. in his career, but hopefully he's been practicing, you know, during this time of suspension and hopefully he's getting better at that. Yeah, you have to remember, this was a defense that started the year without giving up an error, I think, in the first 11 games, I think it was. Wow. So that just says you how good of a defense um, this team possessed both behind the plate and in the field. All right, we're going to move on to some Angels, where um, we got a couple of Super 2 classification news from the Halos. Outfielder Taylor Ward and left-handed pitcher Patrick Sandoval were among the players to qualify for Super 2 classification within their arbitration. So this means they were among the top 22% of players who have amassed being two- and uh, three-year players uh, in the major leagues. I kind of had to do some reading it up on this because I had honestly never heard of Super 2 classification or arbitration before. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I think very interesting for them to get these pay raises. I think also very deserved Yeah. because mm-hmm. Taylor Ward, you really saw him take a big step this year. He had career highs in batting average. He was hitting 281 this season. So his slugging percentage was 473. He played 135 games, which is the most in his career, as well as the most home runs and RBIs in his career. He hit 23 out of the ballpark and he drove in 65 runs. And also being a first time silver slugger nominee, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that he was able to, you know, classify for this. And um, I think he really took that next step of being a really solid outfielder in the major leagues. And honestly, if he's able to continue this level of production, you never know what's going to happen, especially with the angels. But I think he could definitely be an all-star caliber player next year. If he continues this, I mean, especially Mm -hmm. if he is able to keep up that production at the plate and he gets better as we've seen him progress through his career. I think it's possible. I'm not saying it will happen, but I mean, you never know, right? So, um, expecting him to continue to take some steps in the majors, and then you bring up Patrick Sandoval as well. He had a six and nine uh, record on the mound. Obviously, the record isn't indicative of what he was able to do because the lineup just didn't produce the season. But two point nine one ERA. He had one hundred fifty one strikeouts, and that was in one hundred forty eight point two innings. And he was one of sixteen pitchers to throw a complete game shutout this season. So you see a lot of these younger guys on the Angels continue to get better, even though the team success isn't where it should be. Um, I I think these are some core guys that they need to have around for a long time. And these pay raises, like I said before, are very well-deserved. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too, we've talked about it in the past about, you know, pitchers like Patrick Janival, those six wins. We probably should be thinking about his win total being closer to nine wins or even double digits oh, yeah. this past year. Yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. unquestionably where it should be at. But like you said, the Angels slumped for, what, like three months? And so, yeah, it, it's tough to get wins regardless of how you perform on the mound because even if you allow, you know, three or four runs and your lineups maybe driving him one on like a sack fly. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I think too, you saw that big step from Sandoval, especially in the second half, because I believe his ERA was 2.51 over the second half after the all-star break. And so he got even better as the season went on. And I think that's just really encouraging. That's what you want to see out of one of your young guys who could potentially reach ACE level at some point in his career. Mm-hmm. Other news, um, including within the pitching rotation, technically, um, as teams continue to scope out their 2023 plans, that includes um, seeing what possible trade pieces teams could acquire, especially playoff teams. And for teams like the Angels, it means maybe going after players like Shohei Otani. Do you think uh, Shohei Otani? trade could happen this offseason, Kyle? Well, there was some rumors that were floating around uh, from SNY's Andy Martino this week about the Mets trying to build the roster through trades. Obviously, we all know what happened to the Mets in the postseason where Padres just kind of, you know, stormed in and, and took the wild card series from him. But um, apparently that won't happen because he says the Angels have no appetite to trade Shohei Otani which is completely understandable at the same time trade talks really heated up last year, especially, you know, when the angels started to go downhill in terms of their record, in terms of their performance. And um, the trade deadline was really a time where you never knew what was going to happen. There was always a possibility of him getting traded, but didn't happen. So I think the angels are going to stand their ground for now. If a similar situation happens next season where they aren't able to, at least somewhat be competitive for the wild card race. And I think the possibility of him being traded would increase, you know, with him being on a contract year. Um, I think that's always a possibility. Um, and especially if they can't agree on a long-term extension before then, which there's a lot of questions with, you know, new ownership potentially coming in there. And, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with the coaching staff necessarily as of now, you know, Phil Nevin's going to come back, but we don't know who else is going to come in. So I, I think there's too many questions now for you to deal Shohei Otani, but if you are performing poorly on the diamond and if you can't agree to an extension before that July deadline, I think that um, maybe you consider trading him. But, yeah, there's a lot of different factors to consider mm-hmm. here. We will have to see how this offseason goes. We'll cover it from both the Angels' perspective, from a Padres' perspective, who they add to the starting rotation. You know, we talked about first base last week. Do the Padres keep their, um, you know, what they do at first base? Because there'll be a lot of decisions that will need to be made uh, this winter for both teams. All right, we're going to move on now. We're going to talk to the NBA. We got some news. Obviously, last week we talked about the injury to Damian Lillard. He's going to be out for a little bit with his foot injury. But we got some news from a. Uh, Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks. He became the first player since Wilt Chamberlain 60 years ago to score 30 or more points 
in his first seven games of a season. Yeah, I think what's crazier about this is he's only hit more than two three-pointers in one of those games. I mean, when you look at his shot total, he's been shooting over 50% at 51.4, but it's crazy. You think a lot of these points would be coming from the deep ball, but they're just not. But, yeah, I think just just shows his overall ability and what he's able to do out there. In those games so far, he's been able to put together two triple doubles. So, yeah, I I think his all-around ability is incredible, and you really see him making that next step and – Again, Brevin, he's our age. He's 23 years old and he's doing this. I yeah. mean, it's incredible to see him kind of break this record um, or at least meet it with Wilt Chamberlain um, mm-hmm. to score 30 or more points in the first seven games of the year. And, yeah, I, I think it'll keep up. I think no reason that it shouldn't. Um, he scored over 40 twice already as well. So yeah. when you take a look at his volume and um, his usage, I think this could continue. I don't know how many games will Chamberlain ended up doing this in a row, but um, I don't know. Part of me thinks he can meet that or even top that. Yeah. Last time or when Walt, Walt Chamberlain did this last, he did it total of four times. It was during the 1962, 1963 season. So it tells you how much, um, you know, we're getting back to that scoring dominated by just one player mm-hmm. and we see that here with the dallas mavericks all right we are moving on we got some injury news where uh philadelphia 76ers james harden is expected to miss a month due to a tendon strain in his right foot that is coming from adrian morjanowski of espn didn't expect him to be out this long due to just a tendon strain, but I think it's a little bit more serious than I actually think. So um, hoping he gets better soon. And as a result of this, I think Tyrese Maxey is going to be a guy who's going to have to step in and not only score at a high level, but just be a really good facilitator with the basketball, share the ball with his teammates, just make the really nice play, um, the smart play that needs to be done. And yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that he can't do it either. So um Sixers got a little bit more depth this year so I think they'll be okay without him for just a little mm-hmm. while another player who's going to be out for a little bit is Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving he was suspended for at least five games or as the Brooklyn Nets put it no more than five games without pay mm-hmm. after he publicized a film showcasing anti-semitic hate uh he did not apologize in a joint statement with the Nets and anti in the Anti-Defamation League, we had brought this up a little bit uh, last week when we brought mm-hmm. up Kanye West. Yeah, we did. We talked about this with our guest, Jack Molnar a little bit as well. So I don't think this is a surprise at all that he's being suspended. And he had an opportunity today with the media to, um, you know, kind of just give an opportunity to say that he would he would denounce any sort of anti-Semitism. And he didn't do it. So... I think this is the right move from the Nets to do this. Uh, The Nets dropped a statement when they made this announcement that said, quote, such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing is against the values of our organization and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets, end quote. So, yeah, the Nets are definitely doing the right thing here. He had the opportunity to apologize and 
stand against that belief, but he just won't do it. And so I think this is a situation that is one to follow. I don't know if they're going to do anything more than this, though, Brevin, because he's a player with such worth and such value that, I mean, we don't know if he's going to end up apologizing down the road, but I just don't see them releasing him at all. Maybe a longer suspension, but I, you know, from a business standpoint, I don't know what the Nets can do here. Yeah. I think what's tough is that, you know, this, this is a, I don't think this is a net team that'll have any suitors on the other side for Kyrie Irving. Right. And this also comes after, you know, um, you know, Steve Nash was like, go by the team as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because after Steve Nash kind of left the team, the game after that, their defense just improved, you know, from the jump. And it, was, mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting to see, and they were actually running a lot of really nice-looking plays. But, yeah, now they're going to be without Kyrie, like you said, for five games. And so, rightfully so, I mean, it's a big deal. And I just don't know how Kevin Durant feels in the midst of all of this because now he's going to have yeah. to carry the load. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think about uh, Ben Simmons as well, who this team got last year at the deadline mm-hmm. for uh, James Harden from the Sixers. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see um, what happens. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some NFL. We had the trade deadline back on Tuesday, the most trades made on a single trade deadline uh, day. Uh, we're gonna get into some of those. The Broncos made some new made some moves. So we'll talk about that. Uh suspended player was also traded. We're also gonna get into some fantasy football. Not only did uh the NFL teams make a trade, but I made a trade as well. So we're gonna break that down as well as uh get into some trivia that will conclude episode number 73 of Down the Line. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hunter alongside Kyle Betts. This is episode number 73 of Down the Line. As we brought up in our first half, we talked some baseball. It is game five of the World Series currently going on as we approach six o'clock here on the West Coast here. It's November 3rd. Um, also got the 
Houston and Philadelphia football teams facing off right now for Thursday Night Football. The Eagles and the Texans, that game is tied at seven with huh. the um, the baseball side. You've got uh, that game tied at one at the end of two innings. Now we're going to talk some football. <laughs> uh, we had the NFL trade deadline and a flurry of moves that were made. Kick things off with linebacker Roquan Smith. He's going from Chicago to Baltimore. The Ravens are receiving a 2023 second and fifth round pick. This is Roquan Smith, who leads the NFL in tackles this year with 83. Definitely an interesting trade here. I think Roquan Smith even said he was surprised that he was going to be traded. But um, yeah, I think this is a really good deal here as the Ravens just really get better on defense and they didn't really have to give up too much. I mean, obviously you do give up a second and a fifth, but I think Roquan Smith, like you said, leading the league in tackles this year, that's got to be a first round caliber player. Mm-hmm. So when you see him join Patrick Queen, that starting linebacker unit, you also got Josh Vines going back. You got Tyus Bowser there as well. Oh. I mean, this is a really loaded linebacker group now, and that defense is looking really good, and I think they're going to win that division right now. At least it's trending Mm -hmm. that way. So, yeah, I think just if they continue playing well, they should definitely get a pretty high seed Mm -hmm. in the playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. And when you think about getting high volume in the draft, that's what Chicago aiming for. We think about all the draft picks for – the Bears, yo, the trade last, uh, yo, we think about Khalil Mack getting traded now, Roquan Smith, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the all the draft picks that the Bears are acquiring, playing for 2023 and beyond to build that team around uh, Justin Fields as a quarterback. Another trade that we've got came with the Denver Broncos. Outside linebacker Bradley Chubb is heading to Miami for um, – a 2025 fifth round pick. Um, the Broncos, they received, uh, in addition to Chubb, they received a 2025 fifth round pick. The Broncos, on the other hand, received a 2023 first round pick that belonged to the 49ers. That was which Miami acquired through the Trey Lance trade a couple of years ago. The Broncos also got a 2024 fourth round pick as well as running back Chase Edmonds. Yeah, we kind of previewed this last week as Chubb being kind of one of those two players alongside Jerry Judy that could be traded. I think this was the most likely to happen due to his contract situation. They didn't really want to pay him. And so um, you go ahead and you make this deal. And I think it paid off very well because Chubb lands with a contending team. And he also signs a five-year, $119 million contract extension with $63 million of that guaranteed this morning. So it's a big deal. I think the Broncos need a first-round pick for next season. You gave up a lot for that Russell Wilson trade, and now they get a first-rounder back. And you also get a nice speedy back in Chase Edmonds. He's going to be the third-down back that steps in and does a lot of the pass-catching duties. We know that he had a really good campaign with the Cardinals last year, too. So hopefully that hopefully he's able to step in and contribute a little bit here. But, yeah, you really see the Broncos just – taking and believing a lot of faith, having a lot of faith in their young pass rushers now mm-hmm. and Baron Browning and Nick Benito. And there's also Randy Gregory. I think another reason why they did this is they really want to pay Draymond Jones 
who plays in the in, in, in the interior. They really want to pay him this upcoming offseason or try and extend him. So we're going to see if that happens. But, yeah, I think all those factors kind of combine mm-hmm. into this deal. Yeah, and you think about the Chase Edmonds aspect of it. You think about Latavius Murray. You think about Melvin Gordon, Mike Boone in that backfield. When healthy on the Miami side, you think Raheem Mostert um, is going to get more touches um, mm-hmm. within that Miami offense. Mm-hmm. All right. Another move involves a wide receiver, not the suspended one, but um, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool was traded to Chicago. The Steelers received a 2023 second round pick. Uh, Green Bay was also reportedly in the mix, but uh, Chicago turned out to be the winner uh, uh, for that trade. Yeah, I think here it's really interesting because you didn't really expect the Bears to make a trade for a receiver. I mean, they still are in a position to compete for a wild card, I guess, as of this time. But, yeah, I didn't really expect this or see it coming. Their old line definitely has to get better. And they did need more weapons. You see them trade a second rounder here for Claypool, who does still have a lot of potential, but really expected them to try and help build their O-line a little bit more. But, yeah, I think it's a pretty good deal here. We got a tight end that was on the move in Lions is TJ Hogginson. He's going to Minnesota. The Vikings also get a 2023 fourth round pick and a 2024 conditional fourth round pick. On the other hand, the Detroit Lions get a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 third round pick. Yeah, I think this is a trade we none of us saw coming, especially within their own division. But the Lions uh, appear to be tanking now. I think they're what one and five, one and are they one and six now? So um, this is definitely a move that they felt needed to be made in order to kind of rebuild their team. But yeah, I think they definitely didn't need to give up at least one of those fourth round picks there. They probably should have negotiated and tried to keep one of those, but yeah, they do build their team with a second rounder and a third round pick next year. So I don't know. It's a really interesting trade. The Vikings definitely fill a need because Irv Smith Jr. is now yep. hurt. So mm-hmm. um, Hawkinson's going to step in there, and I think he's going to do a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just adds to that that offense led by mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell, as we talked about last week with Jack Moment uh, on episode number 72. But you think about that offense now. Even without Irv Smith, you got T.J. Hawkins taking his spot. You got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. You got Justin Jefferson. You got Adam Thielen. You know, it's three really good skill players um, just adding to with the addition now with T.J. Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. All right, we go to uh, Indianapolis where the Colts, they traded running back Naeem Hines uh, to Buffalo. Buffalo received Zach Moss and a 2023 conditional sixth-round pick. I think this is a really underrated deal because Naheem Hines seemed to be really underused in Indianapolis. And he's now joining an offense where they're a lot more creative. They're going to get him the ball in many different ways. We might see him in the slot him up a lot more. Might see him doing motions. He can even be in the backfield and pass protect as well. And he's, just a really fast athlete. And so I think for them to get rid of Zach Moss was really important here because he didn't really see the field that often. I don't know how he's going to fit in 
on the Colts, you know, because they do already have, you know, Deion Jackson and of course Jonathan Taylor. But yeah, I think this offense just got a lot better with Nike and Hines kind of joining the mix here. And even James Cook has been used, but I, I yep. think Nike Hines is kind of take gonna take that role a little bit um and assume that a little bit more. So it's mm-hmm. gonna be really interesting to see them deploy him. I think he has a lot of potential. All right, we go to the suspended wide receiver, Calvin Ridley, of the Atlanta Falcons. He was traded to Jacksonville, uh, the Jaguars. Uh, so Atlanta receives a conditional pick that ranges anywhere from a second-round pick to a sixth-round pick, depending on his prediction uh, in the coming years. Yeah, the conditions related to that were really interesting and complicated that it would take forever to read. So, um it's pretty much going to range from a second rounder to a sixth rounder, but yep. yeah, no, it's going to be great. I, I think that he'll fit in Jacksonville nicely. It'll be nice for Trevor Lawrence to have a better weapon around him. And so, yeah, and mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. I'm kind of surprised this happened when he suspended though. You would have thought this would happen during the off season or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about 2023 that, that, um, Wide receiver core could, and I say could because I'm not quite sure of the contract situations, but think about uh, Christian Kirk. Mm-hmm. Well, he'll be there because he said that big contract, but t- players below him, you think about Zay Jones, for example, yeah. um, in that trio, Ridley, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk to lead that wide receiver room um, next year. Mm-hmm. All right, we go to San Francisco where – Running back Jeff Wilson Jr. heads to Miami, gets to reunite with his former um, offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, who is now the head coach of the Dolphins. The Niners receive a 2023 fifth-round pick uh, coming up in April. Yeah, I think McDaniel really liked what he saw, and you make a good point there in bringing Jeff Wilson over. And so it's a pretty fair deal because getting a fifth-rounder for return for him is – pretty nice he you saw how productive he was so far this season when elijah mitchell went down so yeah pretty solid deal mm-hmm. despite trading bradley chubb as we mentioned earlier the denver broncos acquired uh jets pass rusher jacob martin in addition to um to a 2024 fifth round pick the jets they get the broncos 2024 fourth round pick in return yeah, they pretty much only got Jacob Martin by swapping rounds here, and I'll take that all day because he's a special teamer. He's also a rotational guy, and you kind of see them taking initiative here and adding to that pass rushing group even after losing Bradley Chubb. So I think this is a really smart deal, and he'll just pretty much be a depth guy here. Mm-hmm. One final trade to get to the Washington Commanders who we brought up earlier in our episode they traded cornerback William Jackson III to Pittsburgh, as well as a 2025 conditional seventh-round pick for a 2025 conditional sixth-round pick. Yeah, the Steelers aren't really in a position to win the season, but you see their team getting better here because they needed it. Um, their DB room is not that great when you think about their starters. I think especially Akella Witherspoon was one of those guys they expected to perform a lot better than he has, but yeah, I would have thought the Steelers would have given up a lot more than just a conditional six round pick in the next few years, actually. So I I like to steal a lot from the Steelers perspective. 
Mm-hmm. All right, we move to some other news around the league. A couple of wide receivers who it sounds like won't play the remainder of the year. Um, kick it off with the New Orleans Saints. Their wide receiver, Michael Thomas, is uh, after recording 16 receptions for 171 yards and three touchdowns. Sounds like he will go under toe surgery and will not play the rest of the year. Yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty big loss for the Saints because they don't have much wide receiver depth beyond him. I mean, there's obviously Jarvis Landry, Marquez Callaway, uh, Traquan Smith, but those guys haven't really performed as we expected. And their quarterback situation, I think with Andy Dalton, I don't know, it could be better. So this is a pretty big loss for them because, as you pointed out, 16 catches, 171 yards, three scores this year. That was only in three games. But now they don't have him, so it's not like they have much production going around besides Alvin Kamara anymore. So it's a big hit to this team. And we haven't seen him at his full potential in these last three years. So (laughs) hopefully he comes back from it, but I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think that when we were – as we were thinking about at the beginning of the year that Chris Olave was going to be the top running – top wide receiver yeah. um, in this offense, you know, especially when you mentioned guys like Michael Thomas and you mentioned Jarvis Landry. Yeah, and Olave is one of those guys I forgot, but he's been hurt as well. Mm-hmm. And so it just shows that there's been a lot of injuries in this wide receiver room to Landry too. So, man, they're going through a tough time right now. Yep. Another injury uh, who is out for the remainder of the year is – Baltimore wide receiver Rashad Bateman due to opting for a list frank surgery in his leg. Yeah, I think this is a big loss to this offense because we all know how Mark Andrews is used in this team and the volume that he gets. But when you think about this wide receiver core, Rashad Bateman was that leading receiver until he was injured. Devin Duvernay kind of took over since he's played a couple more games. But yeah, Rashad Bateman was his go-to wide receiver in this offense, and now they don't have him. I was telling you before we started recording this, Bevan, that I wouldn't have been surprised to see a team like the Ravens trade for Jerry Judy because of his potential. I don't know how much he would have seen touches in that offense, but definitely think they could have traded for another weapon here, especially since they knew Bateman was going to be after the season. But I guess now in steps in who's going to step in is Demarcus Robinson. And he's, one of those speedy guys with a lot of experience under his belt, but it seems like every wide receiver that fits in this offense is really just one of those speedsters who can try and just create separation. And so Lamar Jackson can get in the ball, but we all know how much they run the ball anyways. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to talk some week nine games. The uh, uh, Ravens play Sunday night against the saints, but we're going to kick it off with the bills. In East Rutherford Stadium, taking on the New York Jets, a couple of five-win teams. The Bills have won six. That game kicks off at 10 a.m. in the Big Apple. Kyle, who do you got in this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bills in this game because of their defense. I don't know how electric their offense is. They got so many studs fitting in there. Hopefully, Naheem Hines can make his debut. I'm going to hype him up because I think he has a lot of potential here. Um, and getting him the ball, I think that he might even see a lot more time in the slot compared to Isaiah McKenzie now at this point. But regardless, I think their defense is really the key to winning this game. And we haven't seen much from Zach Wilson since he came back from injury. So I'll, just for that reason, I'll take the Bills. 
I'm going to take the Bills at well. I think this would be a nice test to see where the Jets uh, are at within mm-hmm. the AFC. Gets a matchup against the best of the best. You think about Robert Sully, you know, his was it now his third year with the Jets, I think it is, you know, so yeah. We'll get to see, you know, Robert Sala against one of the best teams in the NFL. And not only that, it comes against within his own division as that Bills team goes on the road. But I'm going to take the Bills in this game. That game, like I mentioned, is at 10 a.m. Uh, game number two, the Rams at the Bucks, 1.25 p.m. There's some history on the line. Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady is 164 yards shy of reaching the 100,000 yard passing plateau, and he could set that record on Sunday. Yeah, this is a tough call. I think it's tough to say because both of these teams that we expected to be performing better than they have so far are both really struggling. And so, man, I think the Rams might have a really good shot of taking this on the road. But at the same time, if the Bucks regress and if they're not able to be competitive in this division, then who's going to win it? The Falcons who are four and four right now. So I'll take the Rams. I think their defense gets to Brady early and often. I also think like you mentioned with that 100 K passing yard record, um, he's going to get there. I think he's definitely going to throw 164, but I think at the same time that Rams defense is going to come alive here and they just got to do better with running the ball. Yeah, the, I think the key thing in this is going to be the matchup of Mike Evans. Which probably will be Mike Evans. Mike Evans uh, going up against Jalen Ramsey in that defense. Um, mm-hmm. And especially after, you know, last two weeks, we haven't seen uh, Tom Brady be uh, most positive about his running back, similar to a situation out in Green Bay. Throwing iPads around, yelling mm-hmm. at everybody on the sidelines. So, yeah, yeah. This is this is the opportunity for the Bucks to get back on track, especially. You know they they know they're facing a tough defense, uh, in the Rams. And not only is it Jalen Ramsey, but you've also got to deal with Aaron Donald as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, game number three, the final game we're going to get to. It's a one twenty five game between the Tennessee Titans going on the road to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I got the Chiefs at home in this game. I think they are a really well-balanced team. We did see the Titans last week end up beating the Texans by a touchdown. But I think in that game, Malik Willis, he only threw for 55 yards and a pick. And, of course, that's because of Derrick Henry carrying the ball 32 times, running for over 200 yards, scoring twice. But – Still, at the same time, when you face the Chiefs defense, they're going to know what's coming. And I think at the same time, Derrick Henry did not practice today. He said that he is not missing the game against the Chiefs, but he's still limited because of a foot, and he didn't even participate today. And at the same time, Tannehill is still doing with an ankle, and he didn't practice today. You add Jeffrey Simmons as well, who didn't practice yesterday. Um, and today actually as well. So it's, it's going to be tough for the Titans to win this game just because they're without their star players. So I'm going to take the chiefs. I'm going to take the chiefs as well. I think the key thing for this matchup, you know, I think it's how well Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to get, um, his chemistry going with his tight ends, his pass catchers, 
we know um, how good um, Travis Kelsey is. So it's everybody else, Juju Smith-Schuster, whether it's the newcomer in um, Kadarius Tony, whether it's Nicole Hardman. Um, that list just goes on, and it'll just depend on how much, like I mentioned, you know, Mahomes will be able to get that chemistry. All right, let's move on to uh, fantasy football. We had week eight last week. Kyle <laughs> uh, took down Amber Salas, 129 to 120. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about your matchup last week? Yeah, it was really sketchy towards the end because it was pretty much T. Higgins and the Bengals defense against Amari Cooper. And what really set me over the top was that late score from Amari Cooper. I think it was the fourth quarter. So that pretty much gave me that big advantage there. And T. Higgins and that Bengals offense just really couldn't do anything in that game. The Bengals allowed, I think, close to 30 points, maybe even more. Can't even remember because it was such a beat down, you know. So I was definitely happy about the outcome of that because that's really all it came down to. If you're looking for a fantasy cheat code, if Amari Cooper is starting at home, you always play him because he's always <laughs> the at home. And every game he scored a touchdown at home. Away, mm-hmm. you can't say the same thing. I don't know why that is, but it's a theory that's pretty much proven to be true. So there you go. There's your fantasy tip if you own Amari Cooper. So yeah, I was happy with that one. Because now I am sitting at <laughs> four and four after not so great of a start. Yeah. And you think about Amber, she had Jalen Wado, who put up eight for 106 and two touchdowns. However, Kyle was able to match that and more from Tony Pollard. He had 131 rushing yards and three touchdowns for 33.7 fantasy points. In addition to CD Lamb having 18.8. Yeah, that's definitely really nice. I'm on a three-game winning streak, which is mm-hmm. – I was talking about this weeks ago. I didn't think it would actually happen. I was hoping to win at least, you know, two out of three, but definitely happy with the outcome of that. And right now I'm back in the thick of things. ESPN has me projected a uh, 75% chance to make the playoffs. So it's looking better for us right now. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I am not looking that well right now. I lost to Luis Lopez in Las Vegas, almost 144. The 127, I had uh, uh, Joe Mixon as well as Evan McPherson in that game, and they combined for just 12.9 fantasy points each. Joe Mixon had 12.9. Uh, Evan McPherson had a goose egg, did Mrs. Field goal from 47, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, something like that. And then he also missed an extra point as well. So uh, he had zero. Um, Joe makes is just 12.9, but did see a lot of uh, volume in the passing game as we expected with the injury to Jamar Chase as we brought up. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey just pretty much carried the load oh, for release, 40.26 points in PPR. Nick Chubb had a really nice game mm-hmm. as well as we were watching that Monday night game with 25. And so it's just like, there's not much you can do right there about that. I mean, that's just fantasy. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, two studs just going off any given week pretty much. So, yeah, it is what it is. I think the positive is you're still at five and three. You still have a winning record. And at the same time, you also made a move, which I thought was really good on your end. Yeah, I acquired A.J. Brown for Gabe Davis, Raheem Mostert, 
and Michael Carter. I understood already having Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, and Damian Pierce that having Mostert and Carter on my bench were going to be good at trade bait um, and getting A.J. Brown coupled that with AJ, with Gabe Davis. And that was yeah. the trade with uh, Devin Watley. I think this is a fair trade because he gets pretty much yep. three starting caliber players, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you get an absolute stud in A.J. Brown who – I mean, even during tonight's game, you never know what he's going to do. So I think that's it, – it's a win-win for you both. I think you might have the upper hand just because it is A.J. Brown. When you think about the players you gave away, Gabe Davis is kind of a fluky, streaky player for fantasy it's Mike reasons. Williams. Yeah, pretty much. That's a really Boom good bus. comparison. Yeah. Raheem Mostert value goes up a little bit more just because yep. they traded away Edmonds, but at the same time they mm-hmm. did bring in Wilson Jr., so who knows. And then Michael Carter – He's a little unpredictable because they still do have Robinson. I feel like they want yep. to integrate him a little bit more within that offense. So, yeah, it's it's a fair trade, but I think he still did get the upper hand just because you get such a stud. So, what's your team looking mm-hmm. like right now? Yeah, so we got uh, two top ten uh, wide receivers with Brown and Mike Evans, and then three top I don't know. You got them top fifteen, top ten running backs with Mixon, Cook, and Pierce, Jalen Hurts is that quarterback. You got Kyle Pitts at tight end. Um, still kind of up and down with Kyle Pitts. Uh, yeah. You see the volume did start to increase, but still love that uh, last week. 19 points, I think it was. Um, and then the Buffalo defense with Evan McPherson um, as my kicker. And as we kind of talk about the Eagles players right now, A.G. Brown will be one of those guys. Kenneth Gainwell just scored for the Eagles, so it's now 14-7. So that's very yeah. interesting there. We had having these running back touchdowns. Yeah, we see Miles Sanders, we see Kenneth Gainwell. I think Fletcher Cox just got hurt too, so that's pretty big yeah. for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. So um, that's something to follow there as well. But, um, yeah, when you think about your matchup this week, Brevin, how are you feeling and um, who are the toughest players that you're facing? Yeah, I knew, you know, I faced Jason in week five as we brought up, and I, I knew that. At that point, you know, losing to Jason when we were both undefeated at 4-0, I knew that, you know, this wasn't going to be the team that was going to help defeat a team like Jason down the stretch. You know, yeah. and knowing that we were going to take on Jason four weeks later, I was like, I'm going to have to – I needed to make a move. And when I think about getting a player like A.J. Brown and, uh, for, you know, for uh, – at that position for Gabe Davis, it's kind of like I'm just gonna do this in a comparison. It's kind of like when the Padres went out and got Josh Hader yeah. for Taylor Rogers. You know, mm-hmm. we know how good Gabe Davis is as an RB as a wide receiver too. You know, I just bolstered that with AJ Brown. You know, and have two wide receiver ones. I think what's really important for you is your bench, who you have stashed yep. on your bench. Alexander Madison, because Dalvin Cook. It seems like every year mm-hmm. you never know when he's gonna go down if it does happen at all. Um, but you never know. So you want him as a handcuff there. You have Curtis Samuel, who is the second leading receiver on the commanders. You always want him. You picked up Josh Palmer. Great move considering Michael considering Michael Williams is on your IR. So I mean you don't even need to start Josh Palmer this week because you got AJ Brown, you have Mike Evans, and of course your running back trio is looking really good. And there's no way Joe Mixon performs as poorly as he does again. So no. I think you're looking up, especially when you consider Jason right now who you're facing 
has seven points that belong to the Eagles defense. I saw people on Twitter today were saying Eagles are going to drop like 30 facing the Texans without Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks. But, man, I mean, they scored a touchdown so far, so at least it's it's looking good for you, I guess, in that regard. Uh-huh. We just need to keep the scoring up. Damian Pierce would need to get in the end zone. He's got 46 rushing yards, so maybe some movement in the passing game would be good, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also a team that Jason has that has both Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs, as, yeah. um, as well as um, the uh, skyrocketing uh, running backs in Travis Etienne and Ramondre Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Um his tight end and his flex will be kind of questionable to watch this week. Um, TJ Hodgson, we brought up, was traded to Minnesota, so that'll be interesting to watch. And then he's caught Michael Pittman, on the other hand, and we've seen the adjustment with Sam Ellinger on um, a quarterback. Yeah, I'm facing the 2-6-7 and six, seven Watley, but I think that's kind of deceiving because his lineups are really nice. He's got Lamar, Kamara, Moster, Devontae Adams. And then, obviously, he's inserting in Gabe Davis there. He's got Dawson Knox as well and DJ Moore. So, his lineup, you don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like that's a lot of boom potential there. I have to start pretty much everyone on my bench because my entire bench, besides Daryl Henderson, has a bye week. So, yeah, that's what we're dealing with this week in fantasy. But my lineup right now is Mahomes, Eckler, Tyler Algier, which kind of depends on if Cordero Patterson plays. Then I'm starting Tyler Boyd, Christian Kirk, Mark Andrews, and I put in Chuba Hubbard at the flex for now. So might have to change some guys out depending on who's going to be the workhorse back. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I am not feeling too confident about this matchup, to be honest with you. Yeah, this was a team that Devin had last week that put up a league high. Let me pull that up real quickly. A hundred. And at 54 um, over Daniel Guerrero uh, mm-hmm. last week. And even though A.J. Brown had 39 – how many points? He had 39.6 fantasy points. You still got that extra volume there with uh, Raheem Mostert um, there, that RB2 spot. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, before we get to trivia real quick, we just had a run scored in the World Series game five which is Jeremy Pena just hit a solo shot. So he is completely feasting on the – actually, it was it was Noah Syndergaard who was still in the game. So he's feasting on Noah Syndergaard. They pulled Syndergaard out of the game. He only gave up two runs. So he put together a pretty solid performance in three innings, which is kind of what we expected. We didn't expect him to go more than that. But, yeah, two to one Astros now. So Going through the order once, don't want to – don't want to have Noah Syndergaard face um, that Astros team second time through the lineup. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, Jeremy Pena, second time he does face him, he, I mean, he's lethal. He's just such a lethal mm-hmm. young player in the league. So, don't want to get the game out of hand, especially if you're the yeah. Phillies, and knowing that that game six and game seven, if we get to that point, you have to travel uh, back to Houston. Yeah, very true. So, we'll see if the Phillies can come back from it. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a pretty good pretty good game so far. I'm definitely going to start watching after this. So, All right, Brevin, mm-hmm. you ready for trivia? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Um, it's kind of similar to a system I've done before in terms of having you guess players, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk the 
the offensive leaders and defensive leaders in the NFL. So you have five different options because we can't do tackles right. because you we already talked oh, about Roquan Smith earlier. Darn. But... darn. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to remember that. Darn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so don't worry. This, I got a college yeah. degree. And then the answers <laughs> you're giving to me on the test. I know the answer. There you go. There you go. Exactly. You retain information well. Yes. That's all that matters. So this is NFL stat leaders to this point of the season. We're pretty much halfway through um, in terms of the year as we now yep. enter week mm-hmm. nine. So um, we're going to have you go over the offensive and defensive leaders. Let's start with passing yards. So passing three yards. options. Mm. Yeah. This was pretty tough. So this was pretty unexpected through it. Six weeks, I think it was. You had guys like Carson Wentz on the in yeah. that top five. You had uh, it wasn't even what you expected, but I think this player has like Gino. overtaken. Yeah, Geno Smith was up there, but yeah. I'm gonna go Josh Allen at number one. That's a really good guess. That's a really yeah. good guess, but he's actually number three. Number three. Oh, then it yeah. is um and if it's not John Allen, I'm going to go with the other given, and that being it, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is number four. So He's four? Yeah, Ooh. surprisingly enough. So what I could also do is I can give you I can give you three options out of all of these, and then you can okay. pick one for every category. Yeah, I'll pick one. If that's easier. Okay, so yeah. I already told you Josh Allen was number three. So the leader mm-hmm. has 2,329 yards. Is it Joe Burrow or Tom Brady? Joe Burrow. It is Burrow. That's a good guess. Brady's just behind with 2261 passing yards, mm-hmm. but there you go. There you yeah, go. it's not so, like last year with Derek Carr in the mix with going up against Tom Brady. Yeah, and that Bengals game in which Burrow threw like 500, that I think I feel like that pretty much shed him over the top there. So mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's number one in passing right now. Let's go to rushing. So the rushing leader has 841 <laughs> rushing yards. Your options are Chubb, Barkley, or Derrick Henry. I was just – I'm going to go Saquon Barkley here. Barkley is number two on this list. Okay. Should have just went with my gut here. Should have just went with King Henry in the first place. So it's actually Nick Chubb. He is the it is Nick rusher. Chubb? Yeah, it is. And I heard you say yeah. that at first. And I was like, oh, wow, you already got it. So, yeah, Nick Chubb is number one with 841. Saquon, number two with 779. Derrick Henry is 755. I would have thought Derrick Henry is number one just based off last week. So Yeah, uh uh-huh. 200 plus yards, two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And a matchup against the the Texans. It's fourth and fifth on that list, if if you're curious. Josh Jacobs Mm -hmm. and then Aaron Jones. So, pretty interesting. All right, let's go to receiving. Now... The top receiver leads by almost 200 yards from the number Ooh. two spot. So very interesting. So your um, options are Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, or Tyreek Hill. Oh, that's not the three that I even thought about. Yeah. That was my number one. Um, I'm going to go, oh, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, there you go. He has 961 receiving yards. Behind him mm-hmm. is Stefan Diggs. He's got 764, so that's pretty crazy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Jefferson is just 12 yards behind Diggs. So if you're wondering who fourth and fifth are, it's Jalen Waddle and Cooper Cup. 
So yeah, I was thinking. I was like, I was ready to go Cooper Cup with that first pick, with that yeah. first option. Yeah. All right. Um. So these next two defensive categories, we have pretty much a three-way tie for cool. first. So what I'm going to do in this situation is I'm going to give you one player who's tied for first, and then I'm going to say two more. Now you have to say that the player who's Ooh. tied for first, and all, and then afterwards I'll tell you who's tied with. This is which category again? This is this is sacks. This sacks. So eight and a half. He's tied with two other players, but you need to you need to focus on who has eight and a half here. So the names I'll give you: Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons. Oh. Um. Let me go Miles Garrett here. Miles Garrett is fifth overall. So he has seven and a half. So he's just one sack behind. This is tough, man. It is. Let's see. We talked about retaining information five minutes ago. I can't even remember who you just named. <laughs> so you're now now your options are Bosa and Parsons. Uh then I go Micah Parsons. You would think it would be Micah Parsons just because it's not. he gets a lot of talk, but it's actually Bosa. He's tied for first. Now, if I said any of these other names, you might be a little surprised. But with eight and a half sacks in the league this year, it's Zadarius Smith from the yeah. Vikings, yeah. Matthew, Matthew Judon from the Patriots, oh. and, mm-hmm. and then it's Nick Bosa, and then Parsons just a half sack behind. Half yeah. sack behind him is Miles Garrett. So, yeah, it's – not really he you'd expect out of the three to be in first. So I, I think I would have gone Parsons at that number one spot mm-hmm. first and then Garrett and then Bosa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right, your last category is going to be interception. So it's we're kind of going to be doing the same here because we have, <laughs> we have five players tied for first in interceptions. But I'm going to give you one of those names. And he's gonna he's gonna be on that list with four. I'm gonna give you two names Edward? with three. I'm gonna give you two names with three, well, one with four. Well, it's not Gerard Harmon, because he only has about <laughs> one. That was a big six. So Gerard Harmon has two, actually, it says. Oh yeah, that's right. He's got two. Mm-hmm. He's never thirteen. The yeah, there we go. Yeah. He's got because right. he had the pick six against the Texans COVID. Oh, okay. There you go. Um so your, let's so see. your names I'll give you here are yeah. Dar- Darius Slay. And then yeah. I'll give you Minka Fitzpatrick. Okay. And then CJ Garner Johnson. Uh-huh. I'm going to go with the guy that had two in one game in primetime. I'm going to go Darius Slay. Darius Slay has three, so he's one shy of the league. Oh. So between Minka and Garner Johnson now. I'd say Stephen's pretty good. I think he had the touchdown. He had the interception last week against the Raiders. So I'm gonna go CJ Gardner Johnson. Yeah, and actually yeah. CJ Gardner Johnson is on the Eagles now. Oh yeah, that's right. He got traded. So he and Darius Slay, that combo has oh, seven gosh. interceptions this year. So He's a- so uh, Mika has well, six. You know, that's why Darius Slay's got three interceptions. Yeah, so Darius Slay <laughs> and Mika have three each. Tied for first, yeah. Tied That's for why first is, is let me pull it up here. Jordan Poyer. So Gardner, 
Von Bell, yeah. Eddie Jackson, mm-hmm. Tariq Woolen, and then, yeah, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. There you go. C.J. Gardner-Johnson taking away interceptions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and some more news, actually. The Texans have just scored. Yep. Mm-hmm. They got First a 13-yard touchdown from Davis Mills to Chris Moore. This game is tied at 14. Now I'll tell you what the text or the uh, the Texans might not be a match for the for the mighty Eagles here. I think the Texans are looking good, man. The <laughs> over under for that Eagles Texans game last time we checked was forty five. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, Davis Mills eight for nine so far. He's just he's just making the right throws here. And Damian yeah. Pierce in the first half, eighty eight rushing yards already. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. We've got 23 seconds left in the half. Jalen Hurts trying to make something happen uh, with the limited time here uh, in this final possession. Yeah, yeah. Now we're in the bottom of the fourth in the Phillies. So we'll let you guys know what happens next week in the World mm-hmm. Series as well. Hopefully mm-hmm. we will talk some good news. And that for me is the Phillies winning because, of course, you, yeah. you guys know I don't like the Astros. Even though last <laughs> week I did say the Astros were going to win in six. Yeah, very possible right now. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for us on Down the Line for Kyle Bits. I'm Bourbon Hondo. We thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, we'll talk some more fantasy football. We'll talk Week 10 games. Where are, gosh, where are you? Week 10. Um, Crazy. Talk some more NFL news. See what to expect. Um, if there's any news, we'll get some silver slugger announcements i think within the next week or two mm-hmm. we're talking the world cup um that takes place within the next few weeks as well so all that and more coming up uh on our next episodes of down the line